0: celebration of Dragnet's 70th anniversary is over, I do want to let you know that we still have the t-shirt available. Just go to friday.greatdetectives.net to get your Joe Friday Never Said Just the Facts, Ma'am t-shirt featuring Jack Webb's uh, face on the front. Uh, It's at friday.greatdetectives.net Well, uh... Today, we're going to, in celebration of 2,850 episodes, bring you an episode of The 12 Players. What, you might ask, is The 12 Players? Well, it involves 12 different actors. Uh, And essentially, these actors came together. They were some of Hollywood's best character actors. And we've heard them in so many radio productions over the years. Uh, and essentially, they formed this uh, cooperative where they were going to appear in this weekly program with a variety of different types of scripts uh, for them all to get uh, chances to work. And even if it wasn't your turn to appear in the production, everybody was expected to be in the studio and to provide whatever support they could for the production. Uh, Like one week, uh, Bea uh, uh, Benadaret needed to be in a production, and uh, she needed somebody to watch her little boy. So Lorene Tuttle... Uh, took care of that. So it was that sort of atmosphere. Uh, This series ran in the summer of 1945, and there was a revived uh, series in the spring of 1948. Uh, Today's episode was originally aired August the 18th of 1945, and this one is The Lady and the Letters. Jack Moyles.
1: Jereen Tuttle.
0: Edmund McDonald. Kathy Lewis. Jane Novello,
1: Bea Benedera, Mary Jane Croft.
2: David Ellis. John Lake. Charles Lund. Howard McNair. Herbert Rowlandson. Ladies and gentlemen, these are 12 Players, a dozen of Hollywood's outstanding radio artists who have formed this organization to bring you under the direction of Ray Buffum and through the cooperation of the Columbia Broadcasting System, the unusual in radio entertainment. Tonight, 12 Players present. The Lady and the
3: Letters.
2: Well, you never can tell what's going to
4: happen. I'm a peace-loving guy, and on this particular evening, I'm as happy as a dime in a piggy bank. I just knocked over a nice piece of change by acting as the middleman for an insurance company in the recovery of some stolen rocks, and I couldn't wait to tell Liza. She doesn't think being a private detective is very dignified, and she's told me about a thousand times she'll never marry me as long as I stay in this ragged. I called her that afternoon from the office of the insurance company when I got my payoff and asked her to have dinner with me. She okayed the deal, and I was as happy as a pickpocket in a crowded elevator. I came back here to the office to kill time until our date. I'm just sitting there cleaning my 38 special and thinking nice thoughts about Liza when the door opens and a girl walks in. What a dish. She had everything in just the right amounts and in just the right places. And a face that took my mind off Liza faster than scat. I must have looked pretty silly sitting there with that cannon in my hand with my mouth hanging open like a split sea bag because she laughed a laugh that rang little Chinese wind bells before she said
1: You're Jack Moran, aren't you?
4: You read it on the door. What do you want?
1: Mr. Moran, I came to you because I'm in trouble.
4: (laughs) Maybe someday someone will walk through that door that isn't.
1: May I sit down? Sure.
4: Take your choice of that chair. What's your name? Tony Maquette. That sounds familiar. Related to Corky Maquette, the gambler?
1: I'm his wife.
4: Used to be a dancer, didn't you?
1: Now you're detecting.
4: No, I just read the newspapers. They're printed in words of one syllable, you know.
1: Mr. Moran, I want you to get some letters back for me. Who's got them? Bill Franklin.
4: The musical producer? Yes. What's in them?
1: Some things I never should have written. Some things I have to keep my husband from finding out. Ah. If he ever saw those letters, he'd kill me, Mr. Moran.
4: Yeah, your husband's noted for his temper, isn't he? I've even heard rumors that some of the people he got real mad at are wearing cement overcoats at the bottom of the bay.
1: I don't know anything about that side of his life.
4: But you're liable to start taking lessons if he finds these letters,
1: right? Will you get them for me? It'll cost you. $500 retainer, all right?
4: <laughs> sure. Thanks. There's another grand deal when I deliver the letters.
1: How are you going to get them?
4: You know where Franklin keeps them? Yes.
1: He has them in his safe at the office of the St. Albans Theater.
4: Hey, Franklin is supposed to be a pretty fat guy. What's he want, money?
1: No. I was engaged to him when I married Corky. He's been very jealous ever since. He's been threatening me with these letters and trying to get me to see him. Last night, he called me and told me if I didn't come to his office tonight, he was going to mail those letters to Corky. You see, Mr. Moran, he's still in love with me. Yeah, I
4: can see that. He's going to break up your playhouse if you don't play ball, huh?
1: That's right. He's expecting me tonight. You go instead and get me those letters.
4: No, no, not tonight, baby. Tonight I'm a busy man. I got more important things to do. But
1: this wouldn't take very long, Mr. Moran. If you just go and see Phil Franklin. Look, don't you think he might be
4: a little disappointed seeing me when he's expecting you? After all, there are certain um, obvious differences.
1: You took my $500, and I expect you to take this seriously. I want you to go up there with a gun and make him give those letters to you. That's what detectives are for, isn't it?
4: Yeah, that's uh, kind of a vague idea It's a little too vague, Curly Locks What happens if he won't give me the letters? Do I shoot him?
1: Oh, uh, yes
4: <laughs> They call that murder, you know, Blondie The police take your license away if you go around killing people Sometimes they give you a haircut and a singe no, I don't think I like your case
1: Please Please, Mr. Moran
4: Look, for five bills I'll go and ask him But if he says no and means it I'm just going to agree with him and leave You'll still be in the jam and out the 500. Will you buy that?
1: I suppose I'll have to.
4: Okay. Give me that dope again, will you? So this dish, who I should have known better than to get mixed up with in the first place, lets down a hair and tells me a great story. She writes this Phil Franklin's office address and phone number on the top sheet of my scratch pad. Oh, she turned the glamour on all over the place. And, of course, I say I'll do my best. Then she leaves, telling me I can call her later that night at home and give her the report. After she leaves, I reach down in the bottom drawer of my desk, and pull out my office bottle and have myself a quick one. Then I pick up the phone and dial Liza's apartment to tell her I'm going to be a little late. The office is still exotic with the smell of the perfume Tony was wearing. When Liza answers the phone... Hello? Hello, Liza. This is Jack.
1: Well, I'm not ready yet, Jack. I...
4: I know what time it is, baby. I just called to tell you that I love you to pieces. And that I might be a little late.
1: Playing cops and robbers again? No, honest
4: me, honey. I just have to run over on theater row for a minute.
1: Oh, all right, Hawkshaw. But if you're late again tonight... Honey, so help me...
4: I'll be there just as soon as I can get there. Bye-bye. While I was talking to Liza, the door opened. And in walks a guy with about a million bucks worth of clothes on and a face like the head of my grandfather's cane. Hard, knotty, and crooked very rugged-looking individual who I recognize from newspaper pictures as Corky Maquette. My ticker does a rumba to the tune of Annie Laurie, and I throw down the rest of my drink in a gulp. And while I'm choking, I'm figuring the percentage. My heater is laying there on the desk, broke open with the cartridges scattered out around it. I figure I might need it because this Maquette guy is mad, and he's tough, and he's big. I'm no midget, but I don't feel like playing bull to his bulldozer either. He stops in front of my desk and glares at me.
3: Okay, Puck, start talking Got any suggestions, tough stuff? That's very funny, but I didn't come here for laughs My wife just left here What does she want?
4: She came here to see me on business Confidential business
3: Yeah Look, I don't want to mush you up, pretty boy But I'm going to massage your vocal cords a little if you find it hard to talk Come on, don't be a hero at your weight what does she want? Who do you think you are? The Gestapo? Okay, wise guy. When you come to, remember you ask for this. And this big luck lunged over the desk. Grabs me by the lapels. I
4: try to fight back, but I might just as well put my hands in my pockets up to the elbows. He lifts me half over the
3: desk. Shakes me so hard, my shoulder blades beat. I don't like to have to do this. I'm a tough guy to get mad. But I'm an expert at voice culture, punk. Now, sing. What was my wife doing here? Let go, you big moose. How do you expect me to talk
4: with my teeth rolling sevens in my mouth? Let go, will you?
3: Okay. I don't want any trouble with you, Seamus. I just want to know why my wife came to a private dick. What does she want? She didn't say. She didn't, huh? Brother, you're a foolish man. I know, Tony. She wouldn't waste her time calling a private dick that has offices over a Chinese laundry in this part of town if she wasn't working on some kind of a shady deal. That dame is slipping me to cross. Oh, you think so? She's in love with someone else, huh?
4: Not that I know of.
3: Now look, smart up, Junior. You know me, you know who I am. I run all the rackets in this town. I got an organization and I got money. I could make a guy like you, Moran. Is this a proposition? You're working for my wife? Why? I'll pay you double what she's paying you, if you'll go to work for me. What kind of work do you have in mind? least I want to know what she was doing up here. Now, look, I was following her tonight because I thought she was going to meet some guy. Thought she had a date, see? The kid's got something on her mind lately. I think it's another guy. Uh, look, you.
4: Look, why don't you relax?
3: I'm doing a job for your wife.
4: I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's all of the good for you. You're not going to tell me what it is? No. I was waiting after that for him to come over the desk after me. He started to, then he saw my memo pad with that phone number and that office address in his wife's handwriting. He read it. He squinted his eyes until my desk light just showed me steely glints between the almost meeting lids. He threw his head back, focused on me. Then he said,
3: watch this. Whose phone number is this? Who's offices at the St. Auburn's Theater? You're
4: crashing a party you weren't invited to, Corky. Come on, talk. Who's the guy? I promise not to tell you till your birthday.
3: I don't think I need you anymore, Seamus. I don't like wise guys. Especially I don't like you. I reached for my gun. I was going to try and knock a hole in his
4: head before he could get those big paws of his around my stuck-out neck. But I made a mistake somewhere. I
3: came up second. <coughs> Smart, eh? Huh? You were going to swing that heater on me, cut huh? Cut it out, will you? Cut it out, he says. Try to blame me with an empty rod, then he says cut it oh, out. Wait a minute, Corky. Take it easy. You're, you're my arm. Oh, now, that's too bad. What? Let go of that heater, sucker. Okay. Uh, thanks, thoughtless. Now I'm going to give you your rasco. I'm going to give it back to you. Right across the side of your thick skull. Oh.
4: That conch he gave me on the noggin was expertly administered. I went out as cold as an Eskimo's bath. I didn't have any dreams. I started to come to once. I remember my mind waking up just a little bit. I heard one groan and then... Wham! That poor old head of mine yet kissed again with something that felt like the Empire State Building. I tottered a while on the brink and then took a dive into the Grand Canyon at midnight. I don't know how long I was out that time. I just remember coming through enough to hear someone groaning. I opened my eyes. I was in my office. Brother, was I a mess? I just lay there for a while, thinking, looking straight up at the ceiling. I didn't feel so good. Put my fingers up to my head and came away sticky. All of a sudden, I realized the phone was ringing. And I... Sat up and looked around. There was another guy laying there right inside the door. There was a neat little hole right in the middle of his forehead. He was as dead as a stuffed skunk. I got up to my feet and waved over to the phone. Hello? Hello? Oh, Liza. I oh, was just coming after you, baby. Maybe a little late. What's
1: the matter, Dick Tracy? Are you on the trail of the Dalton gang?
4: Oh, Angel, please don't be mad at me. I love you.
1: Do you know what time it is?
4: I. Fell asleep, honey. Oh you
1: fell asleep.
4: Oh Liza! Liza! He kept tingling the phone and looking at the stick. But Liza had gone, so I finally hung up the phone. I walked over and knelt down by the side of this Joe. Then I saw my gun. Somebody put the bullets back in it and used it. Oh, that was bad. The thing that made it worse was the fact they'd wrapped a handkerchief around the butt. A beautiful white silk handkerchief with the initial C.M. in the corner. There'd be no fingerprints on that gun but mine. I took the wallet out of the dead man's coat pocket. There was plenty of identification. His name was Phil Franklin. And he was dead in my office. He'd been shot with my gun. And he had bled all over a small rug I had just inside the door. <laughs>
2: Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Lady and the Letters, a presentation from Hollywood by 12 players. And now, Act Two. I picked up Phil Franklin and the
4: ruined rug and drove to a park on the other side of town. It was about 10 o'clock by this time. I laid the body out under some bushes and I drove to a bridge over the river. I took my knife, cut the rug up into small pieces and dropped it over the side. Then I drove to Liza's apartment. I must have been a pretty-looking thing with two big gashes on the side of my head where I'd had my hair parted with the side of a thirty-eight revolver. That never occurred to me until Liza said...
1: What do you mean, coming here looking like that? You'll probably ask me to move in the morning.
4: Liza, aren't you going to ask me to come in?
1: Oh, you look perfectly awful, Jack. What's happened to
4: you? Oh, a lot of things, honey. I've got to sit down. I'm a little woozy. Oh,
1: you poor lamb. Aren't you going to tell me what happened? Uh,
4: I'll tell you when it's all over, baby.
1: you better come over here and lie down. I have to doctor up those cuts on the side of your head. No, no,
4: let him go. Oh, I'm in a mess, honey.
1: You just lie down there while I get some cream and some bench.
4: I can't stay that long, baby. I just dropped in to tell you that...
1: You just dropped in to tell me you were going to be late.
4: Oh, baby, if you think I volunteered for the shellacking I got, you're crazy. I was just sitting there in my office You're all not the...
1: going out of here looking like that, Jack Moran. If you haven't got sense enough to take care of yourself, I'm going to have to take care of you. Oh, but, Angel, I Are you going you... to lie down there and let me dress those cuts on the side of your head? I
4: can't, honey. I'm about to go to jail for murder.
1: You killed somebody. I knew if you stayed in that awful business, that sooner or later you'd go to the penitentiary. I
4: haven't killed anybody, baby. Look, i got to go. I've got to see a man. I just came up to tell you that I loved you and ask you to forgive me for letting you down this way.
1: Jack, if you walk out that door, you don't ever need to come back here again. Oh, now,
4: don't talk to me like that, sweetheart. I came up here for a little sympathy. Thought maybe you'd be sorry when you saw how beat up I was. Are you going to let me fix you up? I can't. I have to get going, baby. I'm going to be in a mess if I don't get myself straightened out. All right, go on. I'll call you as soon as I get this deal straightened out, baby. Don't
2: ever call me or speak to me again.
4: I got in my car and drove to the Silver Slipper. That's Maquette's gambling club. I walked into the club looking like an accident that had been happened to... I walked to the rear of the joint, past the gambling tables where the elite meet to get beat, and up the flight of stairs to Corky's office. At the head of the stairs, there were a couple of sleek-haired rats. They started for their rostles, but gave that up when I pulled my gun and weighed them aside. I went over to the only door, and on the landing started to kick in. It opened. Who should be framed in it but Corky Maquette? He looked at the heater in my hand and said, What are you doing here? Didn't you ever hear the percentage? Yeah, and tonight I'm shooting the moon. Or maybe you. Come on, I want to talk to you. I don't like to take up a personal conversation while these prying people are about. Come on, brush them off, will you?
3: Okay. Rug it up, boys. Everything's okay. Come in.
4: No tricks, Corky. This gun's got bullets in it now. What's the matter with you? You're crazy?
3: Coming into my club and threatening me? I'm not
4: threatening you, Corky. Just came up here to bring you tidings.
3: Have a chair.
4: Ah, oh, no thanks. I'll just stand here. When I sit down, I get a headache. Somebody battered my brains out tonight with my own gun. It's a little embarrassing, you know.
3: I did that, and you know it. You asked for it, Puck.
4: Yeah, but I didn't ask you to murder a man in my office with my gun. That was an added attraction I didn't pay for. Murder?
3: Now wait a minute.
4: For what? Who was murdered in your office? You tried to frame me, you louse, but when the cops arrive at my office, they won't find Franklin's body there. You think I killed Franklin in your office? Yeah, oh, that's pretty corny, that injured innocence act. You weren't figuring on seeing me, were you? Not until after I was in the sneezer on a murder rap with no alibi. Oh,
3: this is a bad bait, kid.
4: Look, you found that phone number and that address on my desk, didn't you?
3: Yes, I left your office and went right to the office of Phil Franklin. The address that was on that scratch page.
4: Oh, I believe that. I believe that Moses was found in the bulrushes.
3: Why should I lie to you? Why
4: shouldn't you? You worked out a frame that fell apart in the middle. The guy you framed shows up in your office and sticks a gun in your fat torso when you want to know what makes me think you're lying. Now, stop kidding, Now Here's what I want. Your wife paid me five C's for a job I was supposed to do for her. You offered to double it.
3: I will double it.
4: You didn't murder this guy Franklin in my office and try to frame me for it? No. Give me a grand.
3: For what?
4: I'm working for you, fat boy. I'm going to find out who did that little job. I still think it was you.
3: I'll pay you a thousand dollars for finding out who it was.
4: That's the first time I ever heard of a guy offering a ward for himself,
3: but it's a deal. Uh, this is silly. Take him away, boys. Huh? What? Take it easy, The lad uh, sort of sneaked up on you, Moran. They don't like little guys to come in here and threaten me. There's a rod in your kidney, Junior. Now you listen, punk. I didn't kill Franklin. And I'll still pay your grand to find out who did. Take him away, boys. You might slap him around a little bit on the way out. He likes to get hit in the head. Well, I got hit on the head, all right. Those tame gorillas of Corky
4: Maquette's really bent their blackjacks knocking me around. I picked myself up out in the alley, held my head on with both hands to keep it from falling in my lap, and walked to my car. This whole deal was as queer as a white eight ball. I sat in my car for a minute. Then I drove to the office. I parked my heap in front of the laundry, walked upstairs, and opened the door. Then I knew why Corky had turned me loose. I hadn't told him I'd moved the body, and he'd finished the frame. The whole homicide squad was in attendance. Lieutenant Urban was most pleased to see me. He uncovered his phony china clippers and welcomed me with open arms, handcuffs in each hand. The rest of the squad was behind me with their billies at ready. All set to beat out a fast waltz tempo on my poor old head if I so much as moved a finger. Well, I didn't move a finger. I was too tired. Urban said... Hello, Moran. What are you doing here? I didn't issue any invitations to this affair. We got an invitation, though, Jackson, my boy. All right, get it over with, will you? Had a rough evening. What's the gimmick?
2: We got a call saying that if we drop over to this address, we'd find a dead
4: body. The body of a man named Franklin. Yeah. Well, there is nobody, so stop lousing up my office. Not so fast. Where's Phil, Phil Franklin? You think I do? Hold his hand? His nurse is named Bridget. You killed him. Why should I kill him? I don't even know him. You're a clever lad, Moran, but this time you put your pretty little pink neck right where we're going to squeeze it. Ordinarily, yeah, I'd laugh at you, but tonight I'm too tired. Come on, what do you want? There's blood on the floor over there. Did you cut your finger? No, but it's my blood. Somebody bent a gun over my head a couple of times, that's all. Yeah tell me more. Nix, Nix, will you get out of here? There's nobody. You can't even take me in on suspicion on account of you haven't got anything to back it up. Well, all right, there's something going on. I'm working on it. I've always been your friend. Yeah, Brian. I know, and I've always been on the level with you cops. Send those trained apes out in the park and let them practice climbing trees with their hands in their pockets, will you? i got work to do. Wait in the hall, boys. I want to talk to this amateur Jack, if you double-cross me, you know I'm not above framing you. Yeah, I know. You've always been on the level with me. Is Phil Franklin dead? Yeah, he's dead. I'll bring you the murderer if you let me alone. You didn't do it? Oh, skip the father-confessor routine, Urban. I'm talking cold turkey. I've got a line on the murderer. I'm getting paid for finding him. Now, let me alone for an hour and I'll have him for you. I'm trusting you, Jackson. You don't have much choice. Now, look. I talk to Urban like I've never talked before. We made a deal, and he took his little playmates and left. I stood there looking at the place where Franklin's body had been. I saw something. It was nestled between the carpet and the wall a couple of feet to the right of the door, not very far from where Franklin's head had been resting before I moved the body. I picked it up, stood there for a minute. Something had been sneaking around in my mind ever since I woke up and found that stiff in my office. I guess it was my subconscious trying to get a message through to me. Well, the message started coming through. I sat down at my desk put my head down in my hands and really concentrated, trying to remember. Then I got it. All of a sudden, everything was as clear as a pickpocket with a good lawyer. I made three phone calls, and they all came out my way. This time, I was issuing invitations. With a few breaks now, I'd have the killer sewed up, but I needed those breaks like a fan dancer needs her fans. Without them, I'd be exposed. I wasn't kidding, and neither was Urban. The stage was all set a half hour later when there was a knock at the door. I knew who was out there. I'd invited her. So I opened the door and let her in. Hello. Liza.
1: I got worried about you, Jack. Well, aren't you so glad to see me?
4: Oh, Angel, you know I am.
1: You certainly don't act like it. Oh,
4: gee, baby, I. Who's in there? Nobody, Angel, but I am expecting a cry. Jack, client. I'm
1: sorry I was so mean to you tonight when you came to the apartment. Oh,
4: sweetheart. So we kissed and... you.
1: Thank
4: you. Come here, baby.
1: Hello, Jack. I see you're busy. Oh,. Uh...
4: Mrs. maquette, I, I I didn't hear you.
1: You weren't listening. I on time. A client, huh? Oh, Liza, come back here. I hope your girlfriend isn't mad. Huh. Come on in. I don't see why you had me come clear down here when you could have come out to the house.
4: Sit down, baby. I've got news for you.
1: you have the letters?
4: No. Phil Franklin's dead.
1: Dead? You killed him
4: uh uh-uh. Your husband did.
1: I don't understand you.
4: Well, Curly Locks, your husband came in here, accused me of all sorts of things, and when I defended your questionable honor, he bent my own gun across my tender skull. Then, while I was out, he called Franklin, using the telephone number you'd left on the scratch pad in your own handwriting, got him to come over here and shot him with my gun. Oh, no. Oh, I wish you were right. When I came to, I found this strange cadaver looking me in the face. Shot with my gun, I didn't have a chance to frame an alibi. It's a beautiful frame, baby. And your husband's as safe as a royal flush. And the only guy the police can build a case against.
1: But when you found the body, you... Corky's handkerchief, wasn't it? Yeah. That's
4: right. One of Corky's monogram silk handkerchiefs was wrapped around the gun. Right where you left it.
1: Right where I left
4: it? Shut up. You couldn't have known that handkerchief was there unless you'd seen the body, could you? Are you trying
1: to frame me for this murder? Sit
4: down and shut up. You came back in here after Corky left. You found me laying there, not cold. You heard me start to come to and knock me silly again. I don't
1: know what you're talking about.
4: I noticed something that second I was half conscious. Something that have put the finger on the killer. I've been breaking my pick all evening trying to remember what it was. And I found this earring on the floor, Curly Locks, right over there by the wall, just about where Franklin's head was after he'd been killed. You're crazy. The mate to it is on your other ear, Tony. I
1: must have dropped it when I was up here to see you. You weren't near that
4: corner. You're a smart tomato, but you slipped a couple of times, Curly Locks. You shouldn't have committed a murder, baby. You haven't got the brains for it. You killed Franklin and tried to frame me.
1: Okay. What difference does it make You're a smart guy, Moran. You'll play ball with me. When I left there, I saw Corky come in. I waited till he'd gone. I was scared silly. As soon as he left, I came back up here to ask you what he wanted. We weren't talking. I called Franklin and left a message for him to come right over here. He started coming too, and I knocked you out again to keep you out until I killed Phil and framed Corky.
4: Very cute idea. Too bad that I was just conscious long enough to remember smelling that very precious perfume you're wearing. It's also too bad that that handkerchief of Corky's you left wrapped around the grip of my gun smelled of that same perfume. That's something you didn't figure on, baby. That's the thing that rang your number.
1: Can't you see what we have to do now, Jack? We have to stick together. I'm rid of Phil. Now we can get rid of Corky. We can burn him if you just keep your mouth shut and play along with me. I'll get a quarter of a million bucks if Corky gets the business and you and I
4: can have... I was looking right into her eyes, but out of the corner, I saw the door from the next office open slowly. The door from the office where I'd planted Corky McKenna. I saw his face, and it wasn't pretty. It was screwed up so tight, it looked like the job had been done with a Stilson wrench. His eyes had tears in them, kind of a lost look. I've seen that look in the eyes of mothers when they've been told that their son's been killed by the cops. He didn't even look at me. He had a handful of Colt 45, and it was pointed right at the back of Tony's lovely neck. I was as nervous as a worm in an aquarium because I recognized some symptoms. Tony was nerving herself up to pull the trigger on me. I knew it. She was looking hard right into my eyes and talking in a level monotone. It takes nerve to kill a man, and she was hypnotizing herself.
3: She said,
1: This is the way it is, Moran. If we team up, we can frame Corky for murder. With his record, he's a cinch to burn. Then he'll split 50 50 your take will be over a hundred thousand bucks.
4: Better look behind you, curly locks. You're having a surprise party. I ducked down behind my desk. I knew led was going to be flying, and I don't look so good in red. On account of I haven't got good sense, I took a peek around the corner. Corky had walked around in front of Tony. He was just standing there, looking at her, pointing that cannon at her. Her face was flat white. The circles of rouge on her cheeks stood out like two Japanese flags. There
3: was the kiss of death in Corky's voice when he said. I've been listening, kid. So you were gonna give me the skids. Gonna find me. You gorgeous, dirty looking Corky.
1: You know I was just
3: you were were just kidding. Well, I'm not, baby.
4: I love you.
1: Corky. I'm sorry, baby.
4: I had to go. The big goon dropped his gun, just stood there looking down at his ex-wife. His arms were hanging as limp as dead eels. His eyes were filled with a kind of sadness I never want to see again. I had my gun in my hand when I went around the desk and took hold of his arm. He didn't even move when I said, All right, take it easy, Corky. You're covered like a blanket. Yes.
3: Yeah. I had to go and A dirty little... I'd love to. Isn't that a laugh?
4: Yep. Now, give me your wallet. He didn't even look up. He didn't even care. And I could hear the footsteps of cops running up the stairs. So I reached in and lifted his letter saying, You owe me a grand, you know. I found the killer for you.
3: Here's
4: your wallet back, tough stuff. I took my grand. Oh, hiya, Irvin. Come on, my boy. Stop that gun, Moran. What's going on here? Oh, that's a fine attitude. When I phoned you and told you to get over here, I bet you I'd have a killer for you, didn't I? Yeah? Well, you called my bet and I raised you one. Looks like you just won the Daily Double, Lieutenant. Corky here was an added starter. Liza. This is Jack. I'm free now, sweetheart. I just thought maybe we'd... Oh, you did. Liza! Liza! Wrong number.
2: Thank you for your time, ladies and gentlemen. You're invited to listen at this same time next Saturday when... Twelve players bring you another half hour of radio entertainment. Their producer-director is Ray Buffum, who also wrote tonight's story. Music is by Wilbur Hatch. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Welcome back. Well, it's always fun to hear Moyles and Novello playing off each other, even if it isn't as Rocky and Sam. And to hear Novello doing a pretty straightforward American accent, we don't get to hear uh, as much. Other than that, I won't pretend that this is an especially great story. It's kind of a standard, hard-boiled detective story like we've heard a lot of. Uh, there are s- some similes used. Um, I don't think any of them are groan-inducing, but you know, none of them are like super inventive, and they are a bit overused. It's like the writer understood, okay, this may be the only <laughs> detective script I get to write, so I am going to get my full quota of uh, similes in there. Now, of course, you might fairly wonder, how is this? You know. The sort of inventive uh, type of program that they boast about in the opening. Well, it's important to keep in mind. That, uh, this was 1945. It wasn't 1948 or 49 when there were so many hardboiled detective programs on the air. In fact, there was only one hardboiled detective program on at this point, and that was Rogue's Gallery, uh, on the, uh, Mutual Network, uh, with Dick Powell. So this story was playing off the sort of conventions that, uh, had been in books and movies and not on all of the radio detectives that would come down their line. Everybody turned in a good performance. I think J- uh Jack Moyles, of course, was uh, great. He'd already played uh, Rocky Jordan, so he had the talent for this sort of role. And so really the only flaw in this thing is the script. Everything else, I think, worked pretty well. All right, well, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon of the day. Thanks so much to Tom. Tom has been one of our Patreons since uh, April, and he's currently supporting us at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Tom. And join us back here tomorrow. We continue our Listener's Choice Countdown with number 13 in the Standard Division. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net.